Very good. Invite you to open your Bible with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. And just thanks again to all the team that went to uh, the boardwalk. We're just uh, praying that the Lord encourages us to continue to think about, uh, you know, missions. Maybe uh, even as a family, think about taking a vacation and uh, doing a short-term mission trip. But David Nakla, we have a director of of short-term mission trips in David Nakla for our denomination, and he'd be a wonderful resource. And so if that's something you'd like to do, uh, we just highly encourage you to do so. It'd be great to hear stories as people come back and sharing uh, how the Lord blessed them in that. Luke chapter 22 is a text that you, uh, I'm sure, have heard before, maybe know well, and, and yet I think we, we don't understand it well. Uh, so this morning we're going to be uh, looking at what is what is the Lord's Supper actually about? What does it mean? I, I preached a very similar sermon uh, two months ago on this very topic. It's the first time I think I've done that in my ministry. Uh, the reason I'm preaching uh, on the same topic, very similar sermon, is uh, some of you weren't here for that sermon on a Sunday evening. And uh, secondly, it's very important uh, that we understand what we're doing in worship. Um, one of the ways that you get just dead churches is churches that go through the motions and don't understand what they're doing. And there's a, ma- there's a lot of confusion in the church in general in our country about what we're doing when we come to the table of the Lord. And so um, we're going to be, uh, we talked about it two, uh, two months ago, we're going to talk about it again this morning. Uh, what does it mean to celebrate the Lord's Supper? Let's first read our text together. Luke chapter 22, beginning of verse 14. When the hour came, this would be the hour to celebrate Passover, he, Jesus, reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who goes, of him who betrays me is with is, uh, with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another which of them it could be who was going to do this. Let's ask the Lord's blessing. Jesus, we thank you that you speak to us today in your word as clearly as, Lord, as it can possibly be as you breathe this word upon us today. And give us ears to hear, Lord, that we would understand Uh, the wonderful communion that we have with you uh, in the Lord's table and the participation that we enjoy in the glories of the kingdom of heaven. So bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, The the sermon this morning is going to be more of a teaching style, so you want to put on your theological thinking caps this morning. Uh, um, And we're going to be thinking specifically about this question, what exactly are we doing when we celebrate the Lord's Supper? Uh, The original supper was a profound event in the history of redemption. The the page of redemptive history is turning right here in uh, in these hours as Jesus celebrates this meal and then goes to the cross. The the page is turning from old covenant to new covenant as Jesus speaks of the new covenant here in our text. Uh, So this is a, a seismic event a world-changing event, and, and in the context of this event, Jesus has a command for his disciples and a command for us, do this 
in remembrance of me. Now, you know those words, you've heard them countless times before, but if I were to ask you, what do they mean? How would you answer? What does it mean to come to this table in remembrance of the Lord? Well, for most of us, I don't think we're sure, or the answer we would give, I don't think would fit with the biblical instruction. Um, So the first thing we're going to look at together is the problem. There is a lot of confusion in the church and ignorance in the church about what we're actually doing and what Jesus actually meant to say when he says, do this in remembrance of me. Uh, Jerry Sitzer writes this. He says, the Lord's Supper has suffered a significant erosion in the American church. Our functional theology of the sacrament is thin, superficial, sometimes overly rationalistic, sometimes overly emotive, sometimes overly individualistic, but but rarely whole and healthy. I have visited churches in, in which the pastor invited people to the table without as much as mentioning the words of institution, and congregants served themselves the sacraments as if the communion elements were appetizers. I've listened to doctrinal interpretations of the Lord's Supper that gave me the impression that the meaning of the sacrament is in the thinking not in the receiving, as if knowing the properties of a medicine can serve as a substitute for actually taking it. So would it be, boys and girls, if you just, if you got an owie, uh, would, it, would it help if you just took the aspirin bottle and read the instructions on the bottle and put it back on the shelf? It's not going to do you any good. You have to, you have to actually take the aspirin. You got to apply the Band-Aid. And in the same way, we need to actually do something when it comes to the Lord's Supper. Uh, We say that the Lord's Supper is a means of grace, along with preaching of the Word and and prayer. But what does that mean? How does it actually work? How is it supposed to be a help in your Christian life? So you're living the life that God's called you to live. And and some of you have had a great week and you're just full of of, of thankfulness and joy. Some of you have had a a very difficult week, a, a week of saying goodbye to someone who's passed away. There's You've attended a funeral. Uh, you got news of a friend who's been diagnosed with cancer, or a family member who's, who's struggling in some, in some way, and, and those things weigh upon you. And most of us are here with a little bit of both, things that we're very thankful for and things that weigh hard upon our hearts. And this morning, we're going to come to the Lord's table. And how is that supposed to help? What is that actually accomp- meant to accomplish in our lives, or is it just a religious thing that we do and, and we have a hope that somehow in some vague way there's a benefit, though we're not quite sure what it is? You see, our, 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 our vagueness about it, it's not always been that way in the church. Uh, Todd Billings, in his book, Remembrance, Communion, and Hope, uh, points out that the way that the Lord's Supper functions in most American believers today is very different from the way that it functioned in the life of the early church. Uh, The predominant assumption today is that when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, uh, what that means is that the table is a time for us to reflect upon the death of Jesus. It's it's an opportunity for personal, private reflection on the death of Christ for us. And, And the assumption then is that the usefulness of the Lord's table is, is linked to its ability, its power to affect us emotionally, to move us 
uh, and, and evoke an emotional response so that we, we feel the love of God in some transformative way. And that, I, I think that's how most people in um, evangelical and even reform circles sort of approach the table. We, we, we hope that we'll experience something. And I, if I would just ask you, uh, do you ever remember a time where you came to the Lord's Supper sort of with that assumption and, and you left dissatisfied because it didn't really work? I mean, you, you went through it all. You, you listened um, to, the, to the words of institution and you sang the songs and you, you ate the bread and, and drank the wine. But, but the fact is it, you just weren't moved and, and you left feeling very much the, the way that you had felt coming in. And, and you left the table uncertain how that was supposed to be of any significant help to you in the week that is lying before you. You, you see, that, that experience is rooted in the assumption, this false assumption, that the value of the table, it's, its ability to move me, and if it doesn't move me, then we feel like it didn't really work. Uh, the mistake you see in that assumption is that the, the subjective experience of the event is the main issue rather than the objective significance of the event. I'm going to take a, just a quick tangent here, but, but there's, um, there are two different, this is comparable to, 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 comparable to two, two different theories of the atonement, and I won't get too heady here, but there's, a, there's a, the predominant theory of atonement. Uh, what did the cross actually do is uh, the moral influence theory where, where the idea is that God displays his love in, in the cross in such a powerful, dramatic way that it moves people to exercise their free will to confess their sin and come to Christ. So that the power of the cross is its ability to move people subjectively so they exercise their free will and come to Jesus. And so you'll find t-shirts, you know, God loves you this much. God loves you so much, right, he sent. The, the idea is we want to move you. That's the power of the cross. Well, the, 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 the biblical view of the atonement is it, not that the power is not in its ability to move you. The power is in something objective happened there. That Jesus actually uh, atoned for your sin there. That's an objective reality. That, that, that Jesus rescued you. Everyone who calls on his name from the objective reality of judgment and brought them into the objective reality of everlasting life and salvation and redemption. That's the power of the cross. It accomplished something. Well, when we think about the Lord's table, if we, if we assume that its power is in this objective experience, you see, we're, we're often going to be disappointed. We need to recognize that the the power uh, of the Lord's table is rooted in the objective significance that's in the Lord's table. Uh, You can think about, uh, just a quick illustration maybe of this, if you think about a bride who's confused, right? She's been planning for the wedding since she was five years old, and and she's got it all all in her mind, and she knows what it's going to look like, and she knows how it's going to feel. She's got, you know, she's she's had the colors and the flowers and and the music picked out for years, and and then um, she gets up to the front, and and they're about to start, or maybe just just gotten started, and she's just, wait a minute. It's not working. I don't feel the way I thought I would feel. Maybe, did we get the wrong dresses? Are the colors not right? Wrong guy? I don't know. It's just not, it's not happening for me. 
You, you, you know, if, if I was the pastor, I'd say, honey, I don't think you understand what we're doing here. The purpose of this is not to give you a subjective experience. The purpose of this is to bring you into the objective reality of a marriage covenant. That you're going to say things that, that bind you to this man for the rest of your life. You see, she's confused about, about what's, what's, supposed, what, what's actually happening here. She's, she's looking to, um, to the wrong thing. She's, she's focusing on the subjective experience, not on the objective reality. Well, in the same way, the significance of the Lord's Supper is not in its ability to move you, but its objective meaning. And it's the objective meaning that makes it so moving. The thing that should move a bride is, I'm marrying this man, the man I love. And I'm going to be with him for the rest of my life to have and to hold. That objective reality moves me deeply. Same way when it comes to the Lord's Supper. And when you read the New Testament, you get the sense that that's what's happening. The Lord's Supper was profoundly meaningful to them. Essential part of their life together. Something that they devoted themselves to together. So you read in Acts 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Breaking of the bread is the Lord's Supper. They devoted themselves, not as a religious duty or tradition, but as a, a, a meaningful and essential part of them, of their life together. They found it to be life-giving as they, as, they, as they lived out their life in the middle of a, of a lost, pagan, wicked world. So what did they know that we lack? What did they understand? Well, I think... Two things. One, they understand in a deeper way the meaning of the elements and then the point of remembering. First, the meaning of the elements. Notice Jesus at the table specifically tells us what the elements stand for. Um, the elements stand for, Jesus says, the bread, this is my body which is broken for you, the wine, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Those are the objective sacramental meaning of these elements. Um, so we don't have to guess. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to assign a meaning. When we, when we take the bread, Jesus tells us what this is sacramentally. What its objective meaning is as a part of this meal. Uh, and, and the bread and the wine point then to the objective reality of all that God has accomplished for us through the crucified body and poured out blood of Jesus Christ. The, the, the elements point to Jesus' physical body, his, his, his crucified body and his shed blood as the means by which we have been brought into a new covenant with God. Uh, the means by which we have been rescued and made into the children of God. Now, of, of course, the bread is still, it, materially it's still bread, but Jesus assigns a spiritual meaning to it, and, and that spiritual meaning in the sacrament is what it is to us. It's what we need to understand it is to us. And so as you're eating it, don't think, this is just a little piece of bread, and it's not even that great of bread. It's a little stale, very small, a little dry, right? If, if that's where your mind is going... I mean, you're just fast asleep. What we need to be thinking is the body of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to eat this. 
and the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to drink this. Why? What am I doing? You see, that Jesus wants us to, to ask that question, to wrestle with that issue. Because you see, the, the, the issue on the table when we come to the Lord's Supper, when, when Jesus says, this is my body which is for you, well, one of, the, one of the most important questions to ask is, does he mean me personally? Am I part of that you? Did Jesus die for me? Do I belong to the covenant of grace, me personally? Am I saved? Are you? Are you sure? You see, that's the issue that's on the table. That's the point of Jesus' words. Do this in remembrance of me. What's the point of remembering? Well, the, the word remember in the Bible has a much stronger meaning than what we, how we generally use it today. We generally mean it uh, to refer to a mental exercise. My memory is failing. I need to remember this. It's an act of the mind. And, and many people think of the Lord's table that way, that, that the, the bread and the wine are visual aids just to help us remember something that happened a long time ago, to rec recollect and to reflect on, on, on what Jesus did. It's an act of the mind. But that's not what Jesus means when he says, do this in remembrance. He's not just saying, remember this happened a long time ago. So he's not really asking us to think about something. He's asking us to do something, to take an action. So boys and girls, when your mom says, before you go out to play, remember to clean your room. She's not asking you to reflect upon cleaning your room. Right? She's asking you to actually do something. If she comes to you, you know, two hours later and you've been outside having the time, and she says, well, why didn't you remember to clean your room? And you say, oh, I was remembering it the whole time. <laughs> You've missed the point. In the Bible, when it, it talks about remembering things, remember God's mighty acts. It doesn't mean just, well, think about, well, God did some pretty awesome things. It's to think about that in a way that actually changes how you live. It impacts how you treat people. It impacts what you live for. When it says, remember the poor, it, it, it's not saying, oh, I remember that person's really poor. Or even to feel some pity for them. It, the, the point is to remember the poor is to take action on behalf of the poor, to provide for the poor. So what is Jesus calling us to do when we come to the Lord's table? He's asking us, he's calling us, commanding us to lay hold of a covenant promise and a covenant reality. That's what the Passover meal was about. And of course, this is the Passover meal. In Exodus chapter 12, 14, God commands Israel to celebrate the Passover every year, quote, as a day of remembrance for you. A day of remembrance. You see, the Passover celebrated that mighty event where God rescued Israel out of Egypt. Remember, boys and girls, the story of the angel of, of death? that God sent over the land, and every house that didn't have blood on the doorpost, the angel of death visited and killed the firstborn. And so God commands Israel, put the blood on the doorpost so that the angel of death will not come to your home. The angel of death will pass over. The judgment of God will pass over you, and you will be safe. And through that, uh, 
that event, Israel is delivered finally from the bondage of Egypt. Now, to eat the Passover meal is not simply to say, remember that really cool thing that happened back in Moses' day? A day of remembrance is, you see, it's a, it's a day where God's people in the present receive, embrace the realities of that event. That, that, so it was not meant to be a day of private devotion, but a day of public participation in the reality of God's salvation. A public participation in the reality of all that God had done for them. So Billings writes this, with the sacrifice of the Passover lamb at the temple and the celebratory meal, the, the Israelites did not move into private introspection as many contemporary Christians. Instead, they inserted themselves into the public history of Jehovah's saving action on behalf of his people. They, in a sense, stepped into that history and made it their history. So he says, in the Lord's Supper, the public event of God's mighty act in Jesus Christ is appropriated as one's own biography, one's own corporate history. That's why Paul calls it a participation. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? What does that mean? It means that as we eat and drink in faith, we are laying hold of and participating in the death of Christ and all the blessings that flow from it. That we are owning all those blessings to be ours, both individually and corporately. We're, we're laying hold of the objective reality of what Jesus accomplished, and we're taking it to ourselves, and we're taking it as a, as a corporate body. This is who we are, the blood-bought people of God. And as we do that, friends, God is doing something. Why does God want Israel to have this day of remembrance? Because God wants to speak to his people over and over again. This is who you are. This is what I have accomplished for you. And so when we come to the table, we have God attesting that all the benefits of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ belong to you as you eat and drink in faith. God saying to you, every time you take the bread and you drink that cup in faith, God saying to you, you are mine. I have saved you. So that we can have absolute assurance that we personally are included in Jesus' words for you. You see, what happened to Jesus Christ is taken as our own biography. That's, this becomes the story of my life. Jesus died for me. And this is our corporate identity. We are the blood-bought people of God. So that's what Jesus means when he says, do this in, mem in remembrance of me. What we're doing is not just recollecting, we are participating, we are receiving. We're laying hold of the objective drama of God's redemption and participating in all the realities of what God has accomplished for us in Jesus Christ and all that he's promised to us and to this broken world in Jesus Christ. Not just our individual salvation, but the cosmic renewal of all things. 
And so every time we come to the table, we're standing here on, on earth, laying hold of the realities of heaven. And we're also proclaiming. So we're receiving, participating, and proclaiming. Notice Jesus says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he come. We're saying something. See, it's a wonderful thing that in the midst of all that's going on in our life, the heartaches, the troubles, the sin, the trials, the fears, the doubts, we come to the table to receive, to participate, and then in faith proclaim, I do belong to Jesus. I am a child of God. I have been forgiven of all of my sin. I have, been, I have passed over from death to life. Jesus has told this to me. I am eternally loved. I am never alone. I am an heir of heaven. I belong to the people of God and the body of Jesus Christ. And I, we proclaim this together in faith with absolute conviction that no matter what weakness we find in our life, no matter what heartaches we face, that Jesus will be sufficient, that the gospel is enough, that grace never runs out and mercy is always new. That's what we proclaim. And we proclaim Jesus died and we do it until he comes again. We're proclaiming that Jesus is returning. That this, this is not the end of the story. We proclaim that Christ is coming again. And we do it not just individually, we do it corporately, a public, communal, testifying Christ will return. It's a wonderful thing to come to the table of the Lord, to proclaim these things, to proclaim who Jesus is as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, to proclaim all that he accomplished on the cross, the forgiveness of our sin and the beginning of the renewal of everything. The victory, we proclaim together Christ's victory over death. Some of you came from a funeral this week. And we come to the table to confess and proclaim Jesus has won. And we proclaim the free gift of justification for sinners by the grace of God and the merit of Christ. We proclaim together the free gift of sanctification, that the work that God has begun in us, He is going to carry out to completion. We proclaim the wonderful blessing that we are promised of glorification, that one day we're going to be made new when Jesus comes again. And so, friends, as we come to the Lord's table, we come to receive, we come to participate, and we come to proclaim. That's what it means. And so Jesus this morning calls us to come. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, Lord, you know our hearts and our needs. You know our fears. You know our unbelief. You know our worldliness. But Jesus, I thank you that you come to meet us at your table as we are. You don't, you don't tell us to clean ourselves up first as you, as you freely ate with the, the tax collectors and the sinners. Jesus, you freely and willingly come to eat with us. And you invite us 
to remember you. To lay hold of the reality of your death and resurrection. To eat and drink and participate in your body and blood in that way. And to proclaim together all that you've accomplished for sinners like us and what you've made us to be and what one day we will be in glory. And so, Lord Jesus, now as we come to your table, I ask that you would give us your spirit, that precious spirit that we commune with you, Lord Jesus, in a true and living way as we eat this, your bread, your wine, and are nourished in our soul. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to ask the elders to come forward at this time. We invite you to join us at the table this morning. Jesus invites you to join us. We do ask that since this is a sacrament given to the church, to those who've confessed their faith, uh, we ask that you be a professing member of the church of Jesus Christ and that you've submitted yourself to the authority of Christ in his overseers. Uh, we also would ask that you not be living in unrepentant sin. Uh, to receive and participate in the death of Jesus Christ, we, we're called to repent, to confess our sin, and to turn from our sin. And, and so this morning, if you've, if you've not found that, that you've been able to confess and repent and turn, um, then we would just ask this morning that you, that you refrain from the sacrament and spend the time in prayer, that God would give you that gift to repent and the, the ability to confess and to turn again to Jesus Christ in faith. But this is not meant to keep sinners away. Sinners are invited to come. Uh, the only people who are invited are sinners, those who need a Savior, uh, those who need the deliverance that Jesus has accomplished. And so this morning as you come, come uh, remembering in the biblical sense, laying hold of for yourself, what Jesus has accomplished, um, taking the, 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 the work of God in Jesus Christ as your biography, as your identity, as we eat it together as the body of our Lord. When Jesus met with his disciples and ate with them, he took the bread and he broke it and he said to them, this is my body, which is for you. While the bread is being distributed, we're going to sing together, Behold the Lamb, let's see Jesus as we come to his table.
eat the body of Christ in faith, Paul says we participate in his death. And we lay hold of all that he accomplished by his atoning death and resurrection. And as we eat, we proclaim, this is our Lord. We are his people. We are forgiven. We are set free. We're heirs of heaven. And so family of God, take, eat, remember, believe the body of Jesus Christ broken for you. After the supper, Jesus took the cup and said, this, this cup is the blood of the new covenant, the blood which is shed for many for the remission of sin. being distributed. just want to remind you that the grape juice is on the outside ring, the wine is on the inside rings, and we're going to be singing Till He Come.
the hands of an elder uh, gave this to you or maybe a brother and sister in Christ in your row. Uh, but I want you to see the hand of Jesus himself serving you because that's precisely what he's doing. And Jesus himself telling you, this is my blood, the blood of Jesus that washes away all of our sin, the blood of Jesus that redeems us forever, the blood of Jesus Christ that makes us into the children of God. And so this morning, follower and believer in Jesus Christ, Jesus calls you to drink, to participate in his blood, to remember and believe all that is yours because of it. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, who are we that you would invite us to eat your body and drink your blood to participate in the fullest way in the reality that you have accomplished by your death and resurrection. And Jesus, I pray that this sacrament, this memorial meal, would transform our lives. That we would go into this week knowing that no matter what we face, we have, we have participated in the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And all the blessings that flow from that sacrifice flow to us. And so, Lord, may we live our life this week believing with joy, believing with transformative confidence that we belong to God, that we belong to Jesus, that one day soon we will see him face to face, and that right now his spirit is with us. Oh, Lord Jesus, may we be a people who grasp the significance of what you've done and our participation in it this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to receive now an offering for those who are in need, a one way that we have as a church have of um, manifesting the love that we've received to those who are in need. And so the, um, the deacons will come and receive your gift, and we're going to sing together, I will sing of my Redeemer.